0: think a lot of people don't realize that when you go to play shows like it's not just about getting up there doing your thing and getting off stage and then you're done like it, the way I view it is that I am kind of on the clock from the minute I walk in the door till the minute I leave and go home don't get me wrong it is fun but I take what I do very seriously and I always have because it's something It's the only thing that I ever really saw myself doing.
1: This is Commonplace, the show about creative people and the things that inspire them. I'm Nathan Thomas. Today on the show, we have the midnight emo cowboy herself, Allie Fletcher. The Exclaim Records recording artist is one of my favorites at the moment thanks to sharply written songs and a really fun live show. You can order an Ally Fletcher t-shirt now and see the band perform at Localization on Saturday, October 15th at the West Edge Factory. In our conversation, we talk about disappearing into her onstage persona, growing up in a musical family, and treating music like work. She also performs a couple of songs right here on the show, but we start off talking about vocal warm-ups and high school
0: i have like a slew of them i was in choir in high school and i was in like a pretty rigorous choir so i i have the knowledge i just don't do it that's why i sound bad up there sometimes
1: was it like your like traditional choir or show choir or
0: had, we had a show choir, and then we had a concert choir, and then we had our choir, which was like a renaissance choir. Mm-hmm. And- uh,
1: What type of songs would y'all do?
0: So in the fall season into Christmas, it was a whole production, okay? Um, we would wear, like all the girls would get these dresses made, and they were like renaissance dresses with velvet and like the sleeves were lined with satin and it was all very um like we were like a magical choir and the boys would have similar types of wear and we would sing a lot of songs from different time periods of like the middle ages and um, songs in different languages sang a lot of latin sang some german um, sang some Russian songs. Um, It was very interesting. And then the spring season would be like our black tie, black dress type thing. And we would sing more contemporary pieces. Um,
1: Do you remember any like specific songs where if you hear it, like your fight or flight responses kick in?
0: I wouldn't necessarily call it my fight or flight. Um, More of like fighting the urge to sing it. Because I, that was the one part of high school that I liked. I hated high school. I hated, <laughs> I had a really hard time. Because um, I had a lot of things going on like internally. And I couldn't just get it together, basically. I was like a, like a super good student all throughout up until like my sophomore year. I was always like 4.0, I always like tested out of certain subjects and I was in the TAG program, which I think is a program that should be abolished. (laughs) Um, And then a lot of really terrible things happened my sophomore year and I just decided I didn't care about anything anymore because I basically, to put it lightly, I didn't think it mattered cuz I didn't think I was going to make it out alive, so I was like, yeah, it is what it is. I'm just going to I'm just going to come to school when I want to. I'm not going to do any assignments, I'm not going to whatever. I just literally did not care about anything. And then junior year came around. I decided to join choir. Got some new friends. I was like, "Oh, okay." Maybe I could hang out for a little while longer. Started to try to improve my grades. My GPA went from like 4.0 to 1.8. So I was like really trying to dig myself out of a hole. (laughs) And um, then I started having a lot of symptoms manifest of uh, bipolar disorder and ADHD and... uh, I had an autoimmune disease that I didn't know about that was causing a lot of things to happen to make my body just stop working the way that I needed it to. And uh, so it was really just trying to, I literally felt like I was living day by day. I never knew what that meant when people said that until those things started to happen to me. And Choir was, like, the one thing I had to where it just felt like something worth participating in, something worth doing, and it took up a lot of my time, which was good.
1: It was a distraction.
0: Yeah. And I was playing music on the side, too, at the time. And so I was trying to do all these things to fill this void so I didn't have to think about all the things going wrong. Um... And then I made it to senior year. (laughs) Thought maybe I should take my ACT finally. (laughs) Because I was like, well, I guess I kind of have to start applying to colleges. I didn't think I was going to get this far, but here we are. And um, finally got it together enough to graduate. And then was still playing music on the side, still doing choir. And then when I started college, things start I was started to get a lot of traction with my own music, so I was kind of really preoccupied with that didn't really leave a lot of room for anything else, including college. but I was still going I still tried
1: <laughs> well, it does seem with you know. The momentum that you've had lately, and especially, you know, the past year or so since, well, or since you started playing full band and everything, mm-hmm. gaining steam, it seems like that hard work is, uh, you know, starting to really blossom into your next phase.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't know what all it was going to entail. Like, I was truly going into it blind, and Cause I, I had have I had had a lot of support from the community for a, a long time.
1: You've been around that community your entire life yeah. with your mom's band, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. So I was pretty fortunate in a way that a lot of my friends who are in the community aren't, and I guess kind of privileged in a way um, that I have the name that I have and everybody recognizes it. Who's been around for past 15, 20 years. Um, So I I, I guess I really didn't think it was going to be that much different when I started my band, other than the sound, obviously. But I was very surprised. Because obviously you know it's going to add different elements that you didn't have before. There's only so much that I can do when I get up there by myself. So being able to have all of them up there and create this wall of sound and just adding different feelings that, I'm somebody who's very much a big proponent in, like I think that it's very, the instrumentation is very important. A lot of the times I'm looking for lyrics and songs, but there are certain bands where I'm focused more on their instrumentation because The way their guitar tone sounds or a certain bass line or whatever it is makes me feel more emotion than whatever they're saying does. Or how they sing versus what they say. Which is kind of interesting when I think about it because I pride myself on being more of a songwriter than a musician. I've worked really hard to get where I am with being able to play guitar and previously before I played guitar I played drums and percussion and I I worked very hard at those things and I love doing those things but I am a storyteller as cringe as that makes me feel on the inside to say that but I it's something that's very important to me but with the help of my band, we're kind of able to mesh those two things together because they will play things and add certain guitar parts to my songs or um, certain elements in the drums and things like that that help me be able to bring out the emotion that I had when I originally wrote that song that I've kind of lost along the way because I play them so much. And it brings back how I felt all those years ago when I wrote whichever song it was It
1: reinvigorates how you feel when you sing it yes and even just looking at your progression from like those videos of you doing the singer songwriter acoustic guitar thing at like route 60 music uh to you know the live show that exists now and the camaraderie and banter between the band and the whole show of it all like there's a very obvious progression there from like one form of you know who you are to what the band is now
0: yeah I I used to have a really hard time when I was growing because I started playing by myself and like playing shows so like 12 and getting booked for things um and now the past few years probably up until about 2019 i had a really hard time being in the spotlight i was not very used to that from before um And I, I very much liked when I would play places, I wanted the lights to be super dim and I would always dress down and I would never wear makeup and I didn't want anybody to look at me. Not really from a place of insecurity, I think, but it was really hard to know that like these people that are watching me are forming opinions about me. Like I can take constructive criticism. It's not about that, but it's. Me playing songs that are deeply personal to me, or even taking covers that I like and kind of molding them into my own thing. These are songs that they know and recognize, and are they going to like it and whatever? Like, it, it. I couldn't bear for them to see me. It was already enough, they had to listen to me. And then somehow along the way, I decided to um, start creating this character. <laughs> And I I have thought about it for weeks. Cause somebody asked me about it, kind of how she came about.
1: How the on-stage Ali Fletcher came about?
0: Yes, and I cannot pinpoint when there were just it just kind of started to slowly integrate itself over time. So I would start wearing certain pieces of clothing on stage, start wearing makeup. I, at, back then I'd say she probably first appeared like 2018 once and then she went away and then she came back later and I had this like snake skin like fake snake skin satin almost trench coat piece okay and I wore that and I wore these boots and I had glitter on I used to wear glitter all the time back when she was first kind of starting to emerge I kind of missed that I should bring it back but um it kind of started to change the way I looked at things it felt easier to pretend to be someone else or this dream version of me this alternate version of me even though I was still going by my own name and I still go by my own name. It, she just feels different to me
1: because it's just not who you are on like a day to day. Like if you're just hanging out somewhere,
0: right? And that's why like I hate when I go somewhere and I'm like dressed how I normally am, you know, dressed down, getting off work or whatever. And um, I people will like recognize me, and I'm like, oh my god, don't look at me. <laughs> I think it
1: just means you need to start dressing like that full time. <laughs> like, I've heard stories of, like, and I know bringing up, like, Rob and is like a cliche mm-hmm. of just me right now, but I've heard stories of him just walking through the grocery store wearing that same, like, cowboy hat yeah. and the whole get up. He just lives the whole image, and yeah. I, I think it's time you just lean into it.
0: I, I, I think about it sometimes. If I can come into some more income to where I can sustain uh having pieces to where I could dress like that all the time, I probably would do it.
1: Um just need to find some nice vintage western wear. Yeah. <laughs> some Wrangler cowboy shirts. <laughs> Yeehaw, motherfucker.
0: Exactly. I it's it's funny because sh- like, emo cowboy has definitely got, gotten more extreme as the years have gone on. Like, when I was just kind of, like, dipping my feet in the water, testing it out, it was still – it felt kind of weird because I was, like – it at the time, it just didn't feel like me because I was so used to dressing down, and now everybody's looking at me, and I'm like, oh, wait, hold on a second. This is what I wanted to avoid. Um, And I'd say probably, like, 2019 is when I finally decided that it was – Gonna be a full-time thing. And I started dressing like that at every show, and then I got dubbed the name Emo Cowboy by my friends, and it just kind of stuck. Um and so now she's taken on like a mind of her own. And people recognize like that silhouette of her and what she looks like. Like they could probably point it out without even seeing my face, which is kind of what I wanted to create this image and this person and to this character. To be able to
1: escape from yourself.
0: Yeah. Essentially. Cause I, it's not that I lack confidence or I have low self esteem or whatever. I mean, I definitely do, but like, Same. <laughs> but it's it's not i don't think that's really the reason why i think it's hard for me to take um to take like compliments or to accept praise or um to kind of live in that spotlight whereas emo cowboy doesn't really have a problem with that she kind of basks in it not in a narcissist way but she is almost it's it's really like she's another she's just cre- she's just developed her own personality where she's able to take praise for the things that I can't take praise for and it's very strange and I try to explain that to people and they don't always understand, but she allows me to I guess um, just to be able to do things that I'm unable to do in my day-to-day life. Things that I struggled with so much before being on stage and off stage. I think a lot of people don't realize that when you go to play shows, like it's not just about getting up there doing your thing and getting off stage and then you're done. Like the way I view it is that I am kind of on the clock from the minute I walk in the door till the minute I leave and go home.
1: Treat it like job. Yeah. Work.
0: And don't get me wrong. It is fun. But I take what I do very seriously. And I always have. Because it's something. It's the only thing that I ever really saw myself doing. And. I have to be able to network with people. And To make connections and um, talk to people after the show and, and make sure you kind of secure that interest in yourself so they continue to support you and what you do instead of just going home and being like, oh, she's she sounded good, but you know she kind of just disappeared and nobody saw her for the rest of the night. Like I that was something I always kind of had a hard time with before like I would do that. I would network, but it was very difficult for me. The older I get, the more introverted I become. I get very anxious in social situations because I don't always know how to talk to people. And you have to get really good at knowing your audience and kind of picking up on who the personality of the person you're talking to because, you know, I could say one thing to you, but if I turn around and say the same thing to another person, they may, they might not like that or they might not think it's funny or whatever i have a very terrible sense of humor um and it's corrupted by internet slang and god S- knows what slay. else so it's like, <laughs> at, at this point i just don't think that i could stop saying slay even if somebody held a gun to my head i just don't <laughs> think i could
1: well in terms of just treating the you know act of being an artist, musician, performer as work, it seems like in you know, you listen to these like interviews with old country guys and they always refer to it as like it's not a concert, it's the show like mm-hmm. we're doing we're doing a show. We're doing a thing that like the set list is designed so the audience reacts in a certain way. Uh, you see performers who, do stage banter and it seems like it's off the cuff and unscripted, but really it's heavily considered mm-hmm. and they might say the same banter in every city. And then you see them seven, eight months, they're doing the same bit uh, because they know it works <laughs> and they know it resonates with the audience or they laugh at it, whatever. Uh, and there does seem to be with, you know, Ali Fletcher, there's, a show there. It's not you just playing songs haphazardly. You're considering you know what you wear on stage more like if uh, Erica uh, designed something for you to wear. Uh, Erica Lawson Bunny Money or the you know banter between you and the band whether it be saying fuck Cal Bush or Dale <laughs> Fax or You know, there's always the moment when you go to do the Stevie Nicks cover that you put the guitar away and you kind of let loose, dance around. So it does feel like you are thinking about it in that certain way where, no, you're not. I mean, yes, you are doing a concert, but you're doing the show.
0: Mm -hmm. I always viewed it as a production um, because it was... I knew that I eventually wanted to get to a point when I was younger, I would, I would think about this, I wanted to get to a point where it was like that, where it was a production, um, because it it wasn't really so much like that with my parents, um, in a way, I think it always, there's always some element to that with most people, and especially seasoned musicians, they know what works, what won't work, um, and, they have a roundabout plan for how the night's gonna go but at that time mean I'm speaking purely from memory and they might have a different interpretation of it and that's fine but how I always viewed it was they would you know create the set list of however many songs they were gonna do, for how many hours they were gonna play, because that's how it was back then. I mean, you'd get up there and play two or three, or sometimes four sets, and be in the bar all night, and and whatever, and a lot of it was covers, some originals and that kind of thing. Um, I hate kind of reducing my parents to, like, a bar band. Because to me, like, they were just so magical. I was so enthralled by everything they were doing. And then to also be able to be on stage with them at the same time, like, they were rock stars to me. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's what they were doing, and that's what we were doing was playing in bars and that kind of thing and, and kind of playing songs that we know people want to hear um I say we really them I'm just up there as like a stage decoration um but I knew that whatever I was going to do when I finally got to a place where I could do it I wanted it to be different I wanted people to come to a show and to leave being like that was like the coolest thing I can't believe we just saw that like at the v-club and not, you know, some big arena or whatever. Like, I I just, I wanted to invoke those emotions in people because I love, like, if you have, like, a good live show with, like, good production value and things, I know, I know a lot of people kind of don't like them and a lot of people really do love them, but I think one of the best live shows I've ever seen was the 1975. Their whole, like, aesthetic and you know production value and what they do on stage and that kind of thing it adds a whole other layer of emotion to it that i don't think you would necessarily feel or at least feel in the same way if they didn't have any of that and i was always like very inspired by prince like when i was 4 years old i was going to marry prince that was like that was he was my favorite person my favorite musician, and I would watch his live shows, and it, that, I mean, that to me is the definition of a show and a production, like, you can tell everything down to the last detail has been orchestrated by him, and he wants things a certain way, and to be not only as talented as he is musically, but to also have this vision that he's able to flesh out and pull it off, is everything to me. I don't think I would ever be that crazy about it as, as he probably was where like you probably felt like you were being metaphorically tapped on the hand with a ruler. If something went wrong, you see a lot of people like that too. I think I've seen a lot of um, kind of bigger pop stars are like that. If, if their stage show starts to go wrong, where the people who are behind the scenes kind of freak out, I don't really care as long as it's like kind of cool and it kind of looks like we know what we're doing.
1: As long as it's slightly more elevated than just being on a stage.
0: As long as it's slay Nathan as long as we slayed I don't care I can make my peace with that.
1: (laughs) And so you do mention your parents and for context they had the Angie Fletcher band Uh, you're dad was Billy Ray Cyrus's drummer throughout the 90s through his like rise to stardom right Mm -hmm. and he would have was he in the band when they would play like mostly here like locally like at a RT champs
0: in the ragtime yeah um he started with them then and then um they put out they did their first album. I don't. I don't quite know all the details, but they did their first album, and obviously, Achy breaky heart blew up and catapulted them into this country boot scooting fame. Um, and what's what was always really funny about that to me, like I mean, I mean, I think my dad was always very proud of that, but my whole life growing up. Like my dad is not a country dude, okay? He he's he was not very into that kind of music. I don't know how or why he got hooked up with them. I don't know all the details. Because there's
1: three drummers in town. I- <laughs> that's why.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> like, oh God, we need a drummer. Oh, okay. <laughs> let's get. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> let's get which, let, Let's call Greg. <laughs> wh- yeah, which one is it currently in the least amount of bands and can fit <laughs> yeah. another?
0: That's kind of how it is for like it seems like that's how it is for like all instruments right now like my my guys are being pulled in like 50 different directions doing this that and the third and I'm <laughs> I feel bad for them. It must be exhausting. <laughs> but he he, my dad loved like 80s heavy metal music and I always had this weird like push and pull when I was growing up because my dad was very much like, he loved a lot of like glam metal type stuff too. Like he loved Motley Crue. I can't even tell you how many hours of my childhood were spent listening to Black Sabbath or Judas Priest or Def Leppard or whatever. And my mom is the total opposite of that. She was very much like Fleetwood Mac, Nora Jones, Melissa Etheridge. Um, c- the list could go on for her. She, James Taylor, that's her probably one of her all-time favorites. And so it was just this weird... It almost felt like having an identity crisis <laughs> because... I feel like you're very shaped by the music that you're introduced to as a child. What am I supposed to do <laughs> when <laughs> when I've got James Taylor in one ear and I've got Vince Neil screaming in the other? I feel like I was always kind of destined to be in this middle ground of.
1: You can scream if you want to, but you, you can also be soft and delicate when you have to be. Exactly. And so when you're, The stage prop for the Angie Fletcher (laughs) band. Were there any like covers or songs or like moments that stood out as being formative to what you do now?
0: My mom. Is one of the most talented people I've ever met. And. She is completely self-taught. Her and my dad are both self-taught in their respective instruments. She plays drums and she plays piano and keyboard and sings. Um, And growing up, I always wanted to sound like her. I just couldn't understand where that voice was coming from. Because if you look at her, it's almost like she's very unassuming... But then she gets on stage and she just I mean, belts beautifully. And I'm like, where does that come from? And where can I get it? I don't understand why I've not been gifted this this gene. And I could sing, but like, you know, when you're younger, it's not the same as singing. And so at at that time I mostly just stuck to playing drums. Like my dad would go stage for a few songs go outside and smoke a cigarette or whatever and I'd get up there and play drums for however many songs they wanted me to play and I loved that but I would sit there and watch my mom and my two favorite songs that she would do were Dreams by Fleetwood Mac Everybody always compares her to Stevie Nicks. They say that it's like Stevie Nicks and Melissa Etheridge had a baby. But her version of Dreams is definitely a little more like vocally hardcore, I think, than Stevie Nicks' version of it. And there's something about the way she sings that. And when she sings Black Velvet by Alana Miles, I think. Something about those two songs... Even to this day, when she sings them, I immediately stop what I'm doing because I just have to, like, stare at her in in awe. And I can just pinpoint times growing up when I would, I just knew that by watching her, I'm like, I have to get there. I'm not there yet, but I'm trying still (laughs) because she just does something to people that just, I mean, about make them hit the floor. And to have that power over a crowd, that's kind of when I started to realize, like, this is what I have to do. I, can't, I, can't, I don't want to do anything else. I have to do this. So I tried to work very hard to get there. I'm still trying,
1: but... Well, it seems, you know, maybe like the most formative thing for you to have this strong female role model you were able to watch from behind the drum kit, side of the stage... Whatever, and now you have that, you know, thing that you're trying to achieve by emulating that. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I think that the older I've gotten, the more I've started to view it differently. I think because I used to want to be her, and now the older I get. We have very different tone qualities and um different sounds of voice I mean I guess to to get technical she's like a true alto and I am really like an alto one or a mezzo soprano my range is a little more higher up than hers while hers is a little more deeper and fuller So I've kind of had to work within those limitations vocally. But I think watching her and kind of talking with her about how she goes about the technical sides of things and how she sings and her technique and and that kind of thing, I've gotten better with that because I came to grips a long time ago that I'm never going to sound like her. But the older I get, I don't don't have to sound like her. I don't need to sound like her. But there's something still very much primitive about both of our voices, so to speak. I think we both sing from this very primal place of pain. And I don't know that she would ever admit that or not, but I can, I can hear that when she sings. I can't imagine where else that would come from where she's able to sing like that other than fleshing out her emotions and her anger and her hurt and whatever. Even if she's not singing a song that she wrote, like that just comes from, that has to come from somewhere. And I can at least attest to that's where mine comes from. I was never really able to tap into that until I started playing a full band. It's very hard to get up there by yourself and just kind of belt it out. I can, but it doesn't quite come off how I want it to. Whereas with the boys, I'm able to project more and I'm able to kind of not be so worried about the other things going on, because when you're up there alone, you're totally responsible for everything that's going on. They kind of take that pressure off me a little bit and allow me to be able to sing more and sing it how I want to sing it and come off how I want to sound and allow me to kind of detach from it and tap into that place of pain and hurt that I sing from and project that onto the audience.
1: It's similar to the idea you mentioned earlier of you know, recapturing what you felt when you wrote the song, mm-hmm. but live now that you're able to maybe, you know, be unleashed a little more than if, if it's just you solo.
0: Yes. Um a lot of my songs are sad or kind of sad adjacent i think that's partially the reason i got dubbed as emo also i was emo back in the day i had that god-awful haircut that maybe i should bring back just for the jokes but
1: do it for um, maybe a photo shoot (laughs) but then after that
0: (laughs) could you imagine what lily would do (laughs) if i walked in for a photo shoot with my 2012 hair That'd be tragic. God,
1: that most recent photo shoot so good.
0: I was very pleased. I usually have a hard time with photo shoots, and it's nothing. It's nothing that Lily does. Lily is great, but I. I think it comes back to being in the spotlight and that kind of thing. Even though I'm dressed up in character, it's hard when I'm not doing something like going and playing music. I'm just in character, and then I'm gonna go home and take all this off. Um, but this one really felt like me whereas the last photo shoot we did I was kind of just starting back because COVID was kind of like restrictions were starting to lift and there was talk of live music coming back and I you know wanted to do a shoot but you can you can almost see the hesitation in those pictures and then with this one I'm much more confident in who Emo Cowboy is that I was able to really fully bring her out.
1: Well, And so many music press photos, it's just the people in a studio or behind a backdrop. Mm -hmm. And, you know there's good portraiture work out there. I'm not saying there's not, but there was more of a overall vision to the shoot. It felt like it felt more elevated than just say, uh, you standing in front of a backdrop.
0: Yeah. I, I, that's what I wanted. Um, which I, Lily and I talked about it a bit and, You know, I said, I I really kind of want to create this altar, this shrine of, of things that are important to me, things that I feel like influence me as a person and as a songwriter and elements that you kind of pick up on in my songs and who I am in character and that kind of thing. And she came over, I mean, we did it in my garage and, you know, hung the backdrops up and my mom had this table and we like put this tablecloth over it. And I had a picture of me and my grandmother who had passed away a couple years ago on there and a baby picture of me and, um, a cross, cause I think there are a lot of religious undertones, sometimes overtones <laughs> in my songs. And, um, my tarot cards and my cigarettes and my lipstick and you know like i feel like everything that people think of when they think of me
1: it's a production
0: yes and so i very much wanted to do something with that and we had no idea really how we were gonna do it and if we did have an idea it was very at least for me it was very bare and basic I was like, I guess we'll just see when you get here. We'll see what we come up with. (laughs) Um, But it turned out like like way above my expectations from it. I was so happy. And like I said, I mean, I always love everything she does. But this was the first time that, that I've ever done a photo shoot where I didn't hate looking at all the pictures because I hate me. I looked at these and I was like, I can't believe that's me.
1: Yeah, it must have been freeing.
0: It was very nice.
1: And, you know, you you mentioned the things in the picture and the the photo shoot being things that, you know, influences or inspire. But when it comes to your work and the themes that you work with, and what would you say a lot of those influences are?
0: I am very influenced, or at least in the past, I've been very influenced by poetry, not in any specific way, but when I was younger, I used to write a lot of poetry and a lot of short stories and that kind of things, and so I always kind of think about songs in that way, but they were always very depressing poems. And I've always been more drawn to the kind of macabre side of things and um, death and darkness and um, pain and trauma and hurt and things like that because I've experienced a lot of that in my life. And it's a place where I feel comfortable. Um, And... I think it's taken me a long time to accept that it's a place where I'm comfortable because a lot of people's first reaction to that is, well, why do you want to be so sad all this time? Or why do you want to live basking in that kind of thing? And and I don't think that those are the things that make me sad, per se. Um, I think, without sounding too like Tumblr girl here, I think there's a lot of beauty and things like that, that a lot of people tend to neglect, and those are things that people feel every day, whether they want to admit to it or not, and in my darkest times, it always helped me more to listen to things, or um, follow people who were feeling the same thing, and could almost add beauty to it without necessarily like romanticizing it. I think you can find beauty in things without trying to make it something it's not. Um, which is a very fine line to walk because obviously you don't want to make it seem like there's so much glamour and all these terrible things. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's glamorous at all, but it's how I feel. And
1: it would be dishonest not to recognize these things. Exactly.
0: And my mom gets on to me all the time because she's like, I, w- I wish you would just write a happy song. I wish you you know wouldn't write these sad things all the time. And, and I'm not always sad. Even when I write sad songs, I'm not always sad. That is just how I'm most comfortable writing because I feel like I've experienced sadness and hurt to a deeper degree, more than I have happiness and joy. I find joy in all kinds of things. I find happiness in all kinds of things. There are many things that I have in my life that I'm thankful for and that make me happy. I'm not very good at writing about them. It does not sound genuine. It doesn't sound authentic. I have tried to write happy songs. I don't think that's my thing. And to be honest, I think, that the people who listen to me on a regular basis would be a little disoriented (laughs) if I wrote something happy. Um, And I would probably, I have to say I'd feel the same. I'm very good at tapping into those things. And um, there's more dark feelings or hurt and heartbreak and, and that kind of thing. A lot of my songs Or outwardly about heartbreak and um, relationships and that kind of sense of longing. And um, I'm very good at that. And I'm comfortable there. And I just don't see the point. And, you know, it ain't broke. I ain't going to fix it.
1: Well... You know, in writing about, like, these macabre topics, like, you know, uh, death and just sadness, depression, whatever you have it, like, there are thousands of funerals every goddamn day. And in the little pamphlet, they all, maybe not all of them, so many of them say, like, a celebration of life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can uh, celebrate these, like, not necessarily evil but like dark things and you know just uh, recognize the beauty in it. and it seems like that is kind of the the cornerstone to a good Ali Fletcher song
0: I definitely try to um I think maybe the only song I haven't done this with I is probably Kiss of Death but I try to um I don't know the the phrase I want to use, but basically, you know, these really sad lyrics. And then on the flip side, a not so sounding, not so sad sounding melody or chords or whatever. Um, Kiss of Death was probably the only one I didn't do that with. Because I didn't want to take away from that feeling of just that heaviness on your shoulders, because it is a very important song. Um, I mean, I, I think it speaks for itself, but it is obviously about domestic violence and that kind of thing. And I didn't want to do the same way that I have done, like somebody should, where it's not where it's kind of a sadder song um, or kind of more longing that kind of thing um and take away from it with a happier melody like no, I want you to feel this I want it to hurt a little bit because it's important I think what so many people fail to realize and what I failed to realize for so long is that I was constantly being told by a bunch of people throughout my life as someone who has had such a prolonged history of depression and severe depressive episodes. Like, you know, you just need to focus on something that makes you happy. You need to do something that makes you happy. Stop absorbing all this sad content and blah, 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 blah. I have finally gotten to a place in my life and not everybody can do this. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you know what you can handle and what works best for you. So while this, you know, works out pretty well for me, may not work may not work for another person.
1: Everyone has their balance.
0: Exactly. And I have finally gotten to a place in my life where when I feel sad or I'm in a depressive episode or um, residual feelings of grief or you know whatever, I can I can find the time to take a moment and just sit with those feelings and be with them the same way that you know you kind of cradle that joy and that happiness when you have it and it's that kind of coming of age movie type feel where you're like god i want to feel like this forever and almost like a snapshot in time i'm able to do that with some of those more unfavorable feelings and you know, hold them the same way that I would hold joy and acknowledge that these feelings are valid. I'm not any less for feeling them. I'm not sulking in them and basking in them and and trying to make myself more sad, but they deserve the same respect.
1: And it's you being honest with yourself.
0: Exactly. Like, why would I try to take away from what I'm feeling when... All of my feelings are valid. And this is my grief. This is my pain. This is my trauma and my hurt. No one else is afforded the right to it. It is mine. I'm allowed to do what I want with it. And if I want to sit with it for the next 15 minutes and almost like I, I always just kind of see myself in my mind. It's almost like when you're holding a baby and just really trying to bring it comfort and bring it, you know, I don't know, whatever the hell you do with kids. Um it's just that same feeling of caring for it the same way. Why would I not do that? And I've and I have gotten to a place where I can do that and still remain somewhat in the right head space or healthy in those boundaries and be able to write songs about it
1: their Labor Day weekend with Huntington Music and Arts Festival, I think you reposted that story that Tim did on First Look at Four where he's (laughs) talking about you playing HMF for the first time. You were in his garage talking about music, talking about your family and, you know, that year you were one of those solo acoustic slots Mm -hmm. at HMF and you were talking about how proud you were to have that opportunity how's it feel going from that to what you had this past festival where you have your boys with you the sounds more fleshed out like was there this sense of pride in that too
0: it honestly felt so different i remember the first year i was a nervous wreck which To anyone that's been behind the scenes at HMAF, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) It is so... There's so much going on.
1: So much gear.
0: So much gear. So much like you're in, you're out, you know, trying to get lined up for whenever you go on because, you know, they're playing and then you're going to be up and then a band setting up behind you and whatever. And then this year, (laughs) we were the band setting up behind people and I'm like, God... I, that's probably like my least favorite part because I'm like, it makes me nervous. Um, because I'm always like a menace setting up. I'm always loud and talking and, you know, being annoying. And so to have to do that and not speak, I'm like, this is terrible. <laughs> it's like so. It's, it was less anxiety inducing than last time but I'm always kind of nervous a little before we play it less nervous in a bad way, more of like that anticipation type feeling. Once we start, I'm good. Um,
1: it's just getting to the first chord.
0: Yes. And um, to be able to go from, you know, getting up there and playing for 10 minutes the first year versus this year, I got to play for 25 minutes with my best friends It's just, I mean, yes, obviously I'm proud, but it's more of a feeling of, like, disbelief, like, I can't believe we're here. I can't believe we got here. Because it's such an important festival anyway, to me, at least. And so it's one thing to take that stage by yourself. It's another thing to take it with people who, some of the people who mean... The world to you and i was just very just felt very lucky in a way
1: that's how i felt about doing that one intro i did <laughs> and, and it was like because i'd been hanging around that festival for years and mm-hmm. i've seen like Friends and people I'd consider mentors like Johnny Deutsch used yeah. to work at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, be that voice mm-hmm. there. And last year when Tim hosted, I wrote most of his intros anyway. Like I prepared his <laughs> notes, and so to be able to just intro that one act, it was like this great sense of like, oh, I'm here, I'm doing it, and it's, it's just there's so much pride within that festival that's just like I feel fortunate and lucky to be a part of it and grateful.
0: yes. That is definitely how it f- how it felt. it was just I think I mean it felt the same way this year but it was different because it was not my first time playing but the first year I mean I was just I couldn't believe it's it's almost like just fi- finally being acknowledged for your thing that you work so hard at and it's and to have that validated in a way. Um like oh my god they want me to play and this year You're in a different Allie Fletcher. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um this year I feel a more I feel a little more like solidified in in who I am Um, I can acknowledge that we all work our asses off to, you know, sound like we do. And um, so it was less of a disbelief and more of like, I'm grateful for this opportunity and I'm grateful that you asked us to play. So kind of a little more assurance in myself, I guess, I know that I deserve to have our hard work acknowledged. Um, So I think that's where the disbelief came in the last time. I just couldn't wrap my head around because you just kind of feel like a nobody. Regardless of whatever traction you're picking up, HMAP is just different this time around, you know, I've had all this great all these great opportunities in the last year since I came back into playing and have gotten, you know, a lot of attention from from people for that and
1: And you have a label that really believes in you and they let it show?
0: Yes. <laughs> that's that's definitely helpful. The <laughs> boys. The boys. I um I think because of them, I've been able to acknowledge more in myself that ag- not only acknowledge, but also tell myself that acknowledging it doesn't mean that I'm full of myself or that, you know, it's a narcissistic thing to do or, you know, my ego's too big or whatever. Like, I don't think that I'm above anybody because I have this natural born talent or whatever. No, I have, I have busted my ass. <laughs> over the last however long 10 years so that I've been on my own. have open
1: mics in your life?
0: And open mics and little, we used to do these things called Porch Unplugged.
1: Um, Just half a block from here. Yeah,
0: and that was my first show, actually, May of 2013, I think. And I wasn't
1: even in town yet. I Yeah, I
0: that, that was a, that whole period of time, I mean, I played Porch Unplugged from like, 2013 up until like 2015 um fairly often and uh did open mics did a lot of like benefit concerts because those were always very important to me um I mean all kinds of stuff and so I you know I have the past and I have the documentation to prove like how far I've worked to get to where I am and there's nothing you know being full of myself about it I think that I put in the work and the boys put in the work to have that recognized and validated and appreciated because we do it because we love it and we do it because we want to make music for everybody to enjoy So that's how I feel about it.
1: (laughs) So did you just meet the members of your band by just hitting these shows hard and running into each other and just, you know, seeing these faces pop up and get to know them?
0: Well, Mason, I've known. God, like 12 or 13 years now, because way back when he used to be in this band um, and my mom would go over and help them do their thing, would help, would listen to their songs, would help them write, or, you know, different things like that, and that's when I met Mason. I was like a kid, I was like 10, nine or 10, and, um, Josh, I met, um, I must have met him at Press Club, like f- when I started playing there at 16. Um, somewhere around there, because I knew Lily. Um, I don't remember who I met first. All of that's kind of a blur, but, um, Josh became like a brother to me, and he's one of my very best friends now. And, um,. Then I met Aiden through them like three or four years ago. Two, two, three years ago maybe. I'm trying to do the math in my head. Um and then Anthony I met through Aiden um back in May of this year. <laughs> so um it's all it's all kinda all over the place. But Josh and Mason, I've known the longest, and uh, all of them, I mean, have just become some of my best friends in the whole world. Like I can't, I can't imagine what my life would be like without them, and I can't imagine playing music with anybody else that's not them. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like it. <laughs>
1: Hey, it's Nathan just interrupting for a moment. At this point, we reset the mic so she could play a few songs, the first of which is Kiss of Death. tell people the name of that one?
0: That one is Kiss of Death.
1: How long have you had that song?
0: I think I started writing it in October of 21. And I think I finished it in
1: November of 21. So you've talked about writing songs, you know, for a good while now. When you think about now having this band behind you, do you go to this back catalog you have and think like, oh, I wonder what this one would sound like? Or do you more write to the idea of knowing that you're going to have a band behind it?
0: Um, Everything so far has been kind of a back catalog um, because we were still very much in a place of trying to find our sound And the reason really why we even got together in the first place, like why it finally happened is because I was booked to play a show that I needed a full band. So we all just kind of, uh, drummed together and just took songs that I already had and wrote parts to them. Um, now we're trying to get to a place where we're writing songs together. Um, very recently just started doing that but everything so far has been a back catalog i've never written any song with the intention of other parts being added or banned because i just never thought it would happen so
1: is there a learning curve for you then from going to this like i'm the songwriter i'm singing it to the like no i'm writing with the group and existing like within this group
0: yes because uh It's weird to go from having total control over everything to not having that control to the same degree that you had it. They're all very vocal about the fact that it's my thing. And if I don't like something, then they want me to tell them, which is nice. But obviously, I panic. and I'm like, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings if I tell them I don't like X, Y, Z. But... Even in the times I've had to do that, we're able to find a spot where we can kind of compromise and come up with something different. Or they come up with something different, and I either say I like it or not. <laughs> so that is a... It, it's been different, but not in a bad way.
1: It's just learning to exist in this like different creative atmosphere.
0: Yeah, we definitely have an ecosystem of personalities, so trying to mesh everyone together sometimes interesting it's not not good or bad it's just funny how we all kind of come together learning how to coexist with each other in that way of creation and try to make sure everybody's somewhat happy
1: one of those like greater than the sum of our parts type scenarios
0: so this one doesn't have a name it literally is it some people call it untitled i call it unnamed (laughs) Is also the song that John Paul gives me uh, an egregious amount of grief about, so this one's for you, John.
1: You can see Allie Fletcher and her band at localization on Saturday, October 15th. Find her on Instagram. Go get yourself a Midnight Emo Cowboy t-shirt. Thank you for listening to Commonplace. If you liked today's episode, I ask that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review, share with a friend. These are free ways that help the show in a big way. Commonplace is hosted and produced by me, Nathan Thomas. Our theme song is Ratio by Goodwolf from the album Car in the Woods. Join us again next week for another episode of Commonplace.